Today in the podcast, I'm talking to Tom Panos about the psychology of interactions, especially around the sales conversations that most people have at the front end of engagements. One of the things that happens most of the time is that we're reading off a script or we're doing something rote or we're talking about ourselves or we're not actually doing something that the other side actually cares about. We go into that uh, uh, from a number of different angles on the podcast. It's a pretty fun conversation. Let's jump right into it. Tom Panos, welcome to the Superpowered Podcast. Good to have you today. Great to be here. Thanks for having uh, me. You know, when we were talking about uh, a topic to pick for today, um, we came up with one that I'm actually pretty excited about. I feel like I'm a like an amateur student of, but you've you've been sort of knee deep in for maybe seven or eight years, and it's this idea of what yeah. what are the psychology and uh, sort of like brain functions behind how and why we engage, especially in the marketing and sales context. And I thought that'd make a, a great topic yeah. of conversation. So maybe for starters, let's hear about who is Tom Panos, how'd you get here? And then let's go into what you've been sure. looking at in terms of the neuroscience and everything else behind that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am uh, 30, 34 and uh, 32, sorry. <laughs> My fiance is 34. You are anyways, one, you um, nailed it. I, yeah. Mix us up. But anyways, um, I'm, was, I'm originally from Wisconsin and I graduated, uh, college with a degree in philosophy and moved to Chicago about a little over a decade ago to be a comedian. Um, so I got, after three years of doing that, I got my start in sales by a bunch of people telling me I would be good at sales and me having no idea, like, what sales was or in my mind, it was used car dealerships. I had to go get like a bad suit right. jacket. Nobody or wanted to do that. Yeah. And, Exactly. And once I got into it and started to learn more and more about sales, I really learned that there's this misconception that, you know, uh, that is what pops into people's mind that use car salesman trope or caricature and sales. Really what it is, is it's, in my opinion, it could, you could look at it as an art form or you could look at it as anything, but it is, um, a set of skills that can be honed and practiced. But one thing as you and I were talking about is, while technology has gone like this, you know, exponential growth in the way we use it um, to help motivate action in others, um, the conversation around what type of science and research can we point to and look at to inform the way that we actually communicate, the way that uh, I actually put together a pitch or and, and pitch that to you, whether that's for an investment or whatever, um, and how does that science uh specifically neurology and psychology how can it inform how we do that and i think that's been lacking in sales for for years now and i and i'd love to see more right you know i think so much of what Um, we see and i've had others on this podcast complain about is right now it's uh it's pretty common and popular to just use the tools to spam out things yeah. that are sort of, they lack engagement, authenticity, um, any real thought really. And what you get is very yeah. low responses and people are surprised. And maybe that's, you know, you should be surprised that you're surprised because there should be no reason. Yeah. I wouldn't engage yeah. in that. Yeah. Exactly. And I think it's, it's not, I love, I'm a huge nerd for software. I love trying all the new tools, but I look at it as, look, if you're using a messaging tool, that's going to automate your messaging. Well, if your messaging is bad or you haven't put any real authentic thought into it, then you're just amplifying something that's already not very good. Um, so, so, so that's not going to work, but it's had the, an effect on, uh, on buyers in the marketplace, folks like yourself 
uh, who have lost uh, lost uh, interest or, or even um, the the idea that the, any salesperson could add value to right. me. That kind of idea has gone away because we've been flooding the marketplace with so much n- noise that doesn't have value. So many email after email after email after call with no value that um, it, now you to stand out, you really have to be authentic and, and very right, human. Absolutely. I know, I know one of the things that we try to work on is I think the world for a long time was very product centric or internally, like what can we do? And yeah. just a list of things. And the common phrases, you know, in sales mm-hmm. meetings, you know, showing up and throwing up and the shift to something yep. that's more problem centric or like getting in the shoes of the customer, or what they're thinking, what their problems are, being a problem solver. Now you can actually provide mm-hmm. some kind of value perhaps as a salesperson in the front end, as opposed to just trying yeah. to push something on you. And it's interesting because where does all of that start? Well, it first has to start with getting a conversation with the right person. And that's where we've seen the craziest stats come out, like an average of 18 plus attempts on the phone it takes to get a decision maker to engage with you. Um, And so if it, if it's that diff, if it's becoming that difficult to get uh, engagement and fill the top of the funnel. One thing that we should be paying really close attention to is when you get someone live on the phone or in a meeting, what psychologically and neurologically in their brain is happening that, uh, that you can either take advantage of the knowledge you have about it to then not get hung up on. So one thing that has to be talked about and it's not is fight or flight. And this is your limbic system. It's some doctors will call it the lizard brain or your mammalian brain. It's if I yell Michael in a dark alley yeah. and you turn your head quick, that's this part of the brain. It's the part of the brain that when you're in the checkout aisle and you snag that Snickers, uh, that's there for a reason. It's, it's, it's motivating um, your limbic system to dump serotonin and neuroepinephrine into your brain. And those are the chemicals that if you've ever had that feeling, you see a sweet car drive by and you're like, oh, I wish I had that. That's that, mo- that's yeah. that feeling. Um, we can, salespeople can learn to create that feeling in their prospects uh, by leveraging certain techniques, but you're never going to get past a cold call unless you understand fight or flight. So um, I'm curious, you know, you're a CEO, you get calls all the time. Um, what's the first thing you think when you get a sales call? Like what, what is the first thought to your mind? Huh. Like, you know, it's funny. I, I may be unusual, um, but I have a, yeah. a number of different things that I do. So for one, um, I think most people know when they're getting a call, that's going to be a sales call almost just from the number, right? It's a crazy area code or your phone, your times, phone picks yeah. it up as, you know, robocall or spam call. But I actually, especially early in the morning. So this is why calling in the early in the morning is good. Early in the morning, I go, you know what? Game on. Let's see if this person has, right? And I okay. tend to listen as sort of like a sales um, fan. I want to hear what they're doing, how well they're doing it. In fact, yeah. I, I, a few months ago, someone called and was thing. selling something that, um, Really, I had no need for it all, but it matched what we were doing so perfectly that I wanted to see how that person did on it mm-hmm. and end up kind of getting to know yeah. the person. And so that I feel like that kind of stuff is a little weird, but I think that, um, you know, as a listener, what would then turn me off is mm-hmm. inauthenticity, um, obvious script yep. reading, um, 
just really yeah. not engaging in any sort of like human level. And that's where, you know, I'll, I'll click yeah. off. I know recently I was on a call with someone where, um, I sort of like even sort of threw them through a few things in the water for them to kind of latch onto. And they just kept ignoring me. And I just sort of, I hung up without even saying anything. Cause I'm like, this is not, we're not engaging. Yeah. So really it's, are you engaging authentically is the first thing I'm listening for. Yeah. That's, so key. And it goes back to, to my training in improv for comedy. It's the one thing you learn in improv is active listening. You have to get very, very yeah. good at that. And I say to salespeople who are new, if you do anything, anything, you can fake mess up everything. The one thing that will help you better than anything is listen to what the human being you're talking to. Listen to the words that came out of their mouth respond to those yeah. words. I know you've got a plan. You've got, so that's where we get into scripting and should salespeople have scripts. Yeah. And I don't disagree that, that new salespeople or lower level folks should have scripts. But, uh, the fact that in today's day and age with the neurology and, and the psychology we have out there, that sales managers are saying they want them to keep reading that script. You might as well tell them, I, I you know, I want you to, to have no yes, success <laughs> because it's exactly what, what you're saying. And that inauthentic, inauthenticity, if we go back to the limbic system, that registers in your mammalian brain, in your very prehistoric brain from back when we were, you know, ca cavemen and women, uh, walking around it, all that brain part of your brain is concerned with is mm -hmm. threats. Anything that is unknown or seems not right is a, is a threat and it will produce a threat response. You'll see, you can see it in your prospect. If you see, if you're talking to someone and they're swallowing a lot, that means that they're producing lots of saliva mm. in their mouth because their limbic system is in fight or flight. Yeah. It just happens. Um, well, it's funny. And you're, you're, you're and sort of brushing up against something. I, again, I sort of studied as an amateur, but, uh, this idea of like NLP of kind of watching and picking up on some of the cues, um, hard sure. to do over the phone, obviously, but there are some things I think in a way the the fact that a lot of these interactions are happening over video does provide some of that evidence. I'm just curious for you, what, what do you look for? Does. What works and what are some maybe, you know, uh, success stories you've got about using that kind of yeah, absolutely. So um, nonverbal analysis goes hand in hand with getting good at influence and persuasion. And I, I want to be clear, when we talk about persuading or influence, we're not influencing or persuading someone to buy our product. What we're doing is influencing them to take action, to take whether that's no, yeah. yes, whatever it is, it's to take action. Um, so when you talk about nonverbal, uh, it's so powerful. Here's a, here's a, uh, an example of just how powerful it is. If you took a, 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 the, a homeless Bangladeshi woman and a, uh, an investment banker worth millions from New York city, and you put them in an empty room together, did they, and told them not to talk, but just be in there for 10 minutes. When you came back in their body language would mm. mirror one another. They would both be doing similar things. They'd probably be stepped back and swaying a bit back and forth, but that just shows you that this stuff is universal. So one of the things I look for is hemispheres. Every human being has uh, hemispheres when it comes to time and good and bad. So uh, if I'm talking about, boy, we would love to, to start this digital transformation initiative. It's just, you know, we're looking at next year. By me gesturing this way, that tells you that this is my future hemisphere. This is how I, and I, I, I'm going to do this every time I gesture to the future. And then this will be my back hemisphere as the 
persuader, you want to match that. You want to start talking about, let's say, the benefits of your product or you're giving a, a case study. Well, you know, when, when we started work with company XYZ, um, they were they were similar to you guys. And then when we started working with them, they started seeing benefit A, yeah. benefit B, right? Now I'm in his hemisphere. And what this is doing is it's, it's mirroring on a level, but uh, it's also affecting the limbic system in that there's nothing, it's more familiar. Yeah. Sorry, my take on that, it's one of the things familiar. I try to do is, because um, I, I feel like, especially in, in our field, so we're in the, you know, the software development field, it's really mm-hmm. easy to get into um, how smart we are and acronyms that no one cares about and, you know, development methodologies. Sure. And I think that gets people into that fight or flight because it's a really, it's sort of a, it's sort of a logical buyer situation where you're just sort of, you're evaluating like the cost of, you know, tons of wheat and you're really not, the, the value isn't there. Sure. So I feel like if you can flip it to more of an emotional response around like the problems that they're having and be able to articulate mm-hmm. that, articulate that now they're engaged because they're talking about things that are important to them and they have feelings about, and now we can help solve those yeah. things that, that really can flip a conversation because now, now they're actually interested and engaged. Absolutely. And you just mentioned something that's really important in persuasion, which is swings of emotion. Now they're mm-hmm. interested. You will never have someone more excited about your product, your offering or whatever than if they hated the idea to begin with. And by the end of the conversation, they love it. That swing of emotion is very powerful. And when you get good at influence techniques, there's something we call the push-pull. Now, some people could do this better than others, but simply put, it's, you know, hey, Michael, you know, this conversation's gone really well, but, um, you know, Unfortunately, um, you know, I, I've noticed you haven't asked me a whole lot of, of really tough questions. And, and that generally means that you might not be considering something like this seriously. And that's okay. That's totally fine. I don't, I don't want to, you know, waste your time or mine. So I just want to make sure that if that's the case, just let me know. But on the other hand, our conversation's been great. And I think so I'm taking that basically telling you you're yeah. giving me a red flag that this ain't going to yeah. work out. And, and then you're going to, and you do that. And the more you can do that back and forth during a conversation, the more you're going to be able to ramp up to what, um, my favorite author, Oren Clough, who wrote the book, kind of the seminal work on, on this type of influence, which is, uh, mm-hmm. pitch anything. And it deals in neuroeconomics. That's kind of the concept yeah. he studied for the 10,000 hours. And it's, um, how does your brain make a decision when there's a financial element included? You, and it's much different. You just did something that I really like that I try to do too, which is that in, in sort of like saying that, you know, you haven't asked me a lot of questions. Maybe you're not serious about this. It, it has this idea that I, I like to use about you're really trying to go for a no because no will test the edge of what they're yep. willing to do. And if you push them a little past that line, they'll pull it back and say, oh, no, 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 no we're, we're interested. And all of a sudden they're pitching yep. you because they feel like, you know, you know, you're, you're the one that's uh, getting disengaged. And I think that's, it's not manipulative. Nope. It's just sort of try, you're really trying to find what the edges are and just be truthful and really trying to figure out the solution for both of you as quickly as possible. And that waste everyone's time. I use that, what you just described mm-hmm. more than anything to get someone to pay attention because what creates attention if two people are getting along and things are going great and unless they're doing something together, like a podcast, obviously we're paying attention. We're both doing this thing, but in a meeting, um, if there's no level of tension, then attention 
can drop off very sure. quickly. So what you just described, looking for no, going for no, what it does really psychologically and, and in the brain is you're creating tension between you and that person. And think about the last time you were pissed at someone or the last time like really mad or the last time that something intense was going on and you were focused or there was tension between you and someone. You probably paid ne you probably paid more attention to that person at that time than ever mm -hmm. before. So salespeople need to not be afraid to create tension between them and the prospect because that is yeah. when they're yeah. listening. I'll be honest, my uh, that is when the, they're the part listening. of my day today that I remember the most clearly is uh, uh, my son has a, a lunch period that he gets to leave uh, campus for at 12 mm -hmm. and uh, took him out and we got cut off by our super aggressive driver. And I remember those nine oh, seconds more vividly. Than I don't even know what I did this morning earlier, but those nine seconds, I was super engaged. You know? Cause it's a yeah. huge swing yeah. of emotion. You're with your son, everything's fine. And then boom, it yeah. swings the other way. So what, I've studied for a long, a long time is how can we create that in a pitch mm. environment? How can we create that in a pitch environment where almost you, maybe you, maybe it's a technique where you literally you're starting to, there's a great story of a agency. Uh, I think it was one of the big agencies, but they were pitching an old train uh, company, um, continental what, the rail yeah. or one of the big rail lines in the U S and they rode the rail and they found it was dirty and they started the pitch by setting an ashtray in the middle of their, the, the yeah. conference table. And they filled it with cigarette butts and trash and a bunch of trash. And the guys came yeah. in and sat down and they're like, and they just sat there in silence and let them look at it. And then they looked up and they went, that's what we felt like riding your trains. Wow. <laughs> that now talk about getting someone to pay yeah. attention. Bam. You got their attention like yeah. that. And that's when you can come back in and deliver your pitch to someone who is so laser focused on what you're doing. None of your competitors are going to get that level of, of laser focus. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm often curious how it could translate to more the marketing side mm -hmm. of things. So if we look at how now the video marketing, for example, is getting huge, um, uh, all these types of different experiential mm -hmm. campaigns. Um, how can, how can something that is inherently technology and software be authentic or be human? Yeah. I don't know. I, I'd love to hear your, you know, it's funny. That. Um, we've started to use the, uh, video emails as well. And I think largely because, um, it's, it's a, it's a way to show some of that underlying, you know, body language stuff that doesn't come across in other, other media. Yeah. And, just get some sprinkle of humanity. In fact, one of the things I've been sort of studying is what are the, um, what are the most effective, you know, 50 millisecond little gifts that usually kind of appear at the front of those videos. And I've noticed yeah. a lot of the platforms, um, the one that they use to get you to do it is a little wave. And so if you see like a pretty common trope is that the first thing people do is this, what we've started doing is you do this and you write the person's name on like a whiteboard and it shows That's like, smart. we really did this for you. This, this, this isn't like a, you know, a mass, you know, market kind of thing. And it's just one of those, you know, like you said, limbic system uh, responses, you know, you can kind of tell in whatever that is, a couple hundred milliseconds, is this real? Is this valuable? Yep. And that's been significantly more effective because there's so much noise. That's the problem. There's so much noise. Yeah. I think it's familiarity. I think <clears throat> it's, um, uh, so there's something with familiarity and humans where, where if we can make something mm -hmm. familiar, 
that will shut down all fight or flight. Um, there's a famous uh, industrial designer's name was Raymond Lowy. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but the design, they say he designed the 21st century from the Studebaker to the Amtrak trains, Air Force One. Um, I think potentially the Coca-Cola logo, but plenty of others, um, a genius. And he had this um, philosophy called Maya. And, and it's a software program now, I think, for, for industrial designers. But Maya stands for most advanced yet mm -hmm. acceptable. And that was his formula for making a hit product or a hit anything. It has because humans, we are attracted to the shiny new technology. Right, but it has right? to be still but just the, recognizable enough and yet also a little bit on exactly. the razor's edge. So, I've read a little bit about it. Yeah. Exactly. So the formula really is how can you get something that is super advanced and going to pull on that string of the person that loves the shiny new object, the new technology, but at the same time make it extremely mm -hmm. familiar to them. So it has that doesn't have that barrier of I have no idea how to right. use this. Mm -hmm. I'm out. Um, and you can do that through for, through um, through a, a pitch through the way that you um, the way that it's structured as as yeah. an example. Um, one of the big things I think also in pitches is uh, or any sales conversation is length yeah. of time. So Jerry Seinfeld famously said, you know, uh, I'm Jerry Seinfeld, so they'll give me two minutes. After those two minutes, I have yeah. to be funny. Otherwise, That's I'll get food off the state. I'll get food off You know, it's state. funny. So, and he's Jerry you know, so I was thinking like maybe an idea here to, to close on a little bit. You've used a phrase that we all know a lot today. And so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Mm -hmm. I feel like sure. the concept of the pitch in a way is antithetical to all the stuff we've talked about because it really implies the sort of the 1950s Don Draper, like go sit in a boardroom and then kind of arms crossed. All right, let's see what you got. And you're just sort of unidirectionally trying to cram an idea down their throats. And what I really liked about your cigarette example was it turned it around and all of a sudden they're on the spot because all of a sudden they're being, you know, they're, they're being called to account about the state, the state of their trains and cleanliness. Right. And I, I think that's important because I, I feel like I've been in so many things where the approach by, and I've been on team, like teams where we're a part of a larger team. The approach is mm -hmm. let's build this giant PowerPoint deck and just talk for an hour and convince them. Yeah. And it's so ineffective and time consuming. And I feel like it's, it's not engaging. So I'm curious for you, if you had to either rename or rework the idea of the pitch, what might, when they come into play. Right? Yeah. So I would take it from what I've done with the proposal. So as an example, I don't use proposals or, and I didn't in my consulting business, um, because proposal is very similar. It's I'm giving you this document and now you go and you look at it and tell me yes or no. It's very right. black and white. And in my world, we like gray. We like, we don't like, yeah. like black and white. So, um, what I've done was I, I, turned that into what I would call either an exploratory doc or a collaborative proposal. And I use a platform called Notion. So I would build a proposal and I would share it with the prospect. And I would say, this isn't going to be your normal proposal. We're going to build this together. And then at the end, if both of us agree, this is the right plan, then we can talk about moving forward. So I think it's something similar to that. I think um, just by the fact of you saying um, this I would approach it with, hey, I know this is where most agencies are going to schedule a pitch mm -hmm. with you. We do something a bit differently, um, hoping you'll indulge us. I think that yeah. alone has a whole lot of um, 
It's got a whole lot of intrigue. You're going to build intrigue there. And uh, just by saying that, you're going to also spark yeah, curiosity. One, one, but, one of the things I like to do in those moments are whenever there's something that's sort of rote that we're all used to doing a million times over and over again, um, mm-hmm. I like to compare it with the alternative and, and put them on the spot to either pick the boring old way or the new better way. And it's, it goes something like, you know, hey, so listen, to your point, you know, um, at this point, a lot of agencies are going to drag out the old pro forma proposal. They're going to go through a hundred slides of case studies and uh, kind of make you watch their, their song and dance. Or we could do something a little more collaborative. And even if you don't pick us, you're going to get something out of it by doing something together and, cla- and, and working through this together. You know, which one would yeah. you want to do? And in a way, you'd sound like an idiot to pick the former and say, no, no, you just go to your, your, your song and dance. Um, and so that way you kind yeah. of show how pointless that is. And in a way, theoretically put all the other you know groups at a disadvantage by doing the same old thing. And what the collaborative approach does is number one in sales, we know that, and there's been studies on this, that if you've got a prospect, three salespeople selling to a prospect, the salesperson who has had the most back and forth communication with mm-hmm. that prospect is most likely to get sure. the sale simply because of, again, right, familiarity. Sure. Um, it's just familiarity. So uh, by working together with them on something, you're getting ahead all throughout. But I, I would structure it somewhere as maybe, um, you know, you know, we've got some ideas we want to, to explore with you, but instead of pitching them to you. Uh, we want to start with a concept uh, that that we think is going to work and then build. I don't know how exactly yeah. the logistics of it would work, but then but then build that part with you. So in that pitch, you're literally creating what you would have created prior to the pitch and then present yeah. it to them. Instead, you're building it together. And at the end, they can take it with them and remember totally. the experience Absolutely. of That's building great. it. Um, so I think that would be a game changer and I bet yeah, no one else yeah. is doing that. Uh, well, maybe on that note, um, Tom, this has been a great conversation as always, and, uh, got some good tidbits Thank out you. of it. So a pleasure having you and we'd love to have you again sometime. I would love to be back. This was awesome. Thanks so Thanks much so. for having me. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. I know you can't like, and subscribe to every podcast that you listen to, but if you do it for just one this week, I hope it's mine.